were in the race against the Nazis. And I know what it means if the Nazis have a bomb. They have a 12-month head start. 18. How could you possibly know that? We've got one hope. All America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here. A secret laboratory. Keep everyone there until it's done. Let's go recruit some scientists. Da, 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 da. You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Are you serious? It's showtime. We've been waiting for this conversation for a long time. The long-awaited next film from Christopher Nolan. It's Oppenheimer. I'm Kent. Joined by Richard and Brian. Richard had both of these movies in the movie draft. What a weekend for you it was, Richard. It was, yeah. I'm uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm so coked out right now. Just <laughs> celebrating. It's the only way to Barbie Hammer. No, um, yeah. No, it was good. It was good. Better than I expected it to be, for sure. I mean, I thought I thought Barbie definitely would do well. But as we talked about in the, in the Barbie Heimer app, both kind of doubled what what I thought they would do. So God bless IMAX and God bless uh, Barbie. <laughs> Getting yeah, I mean, it's great that the movies were successful, but I think the biggest win was that these were both good movies. Yeah, make you know? good movies. Think, People go see them. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I, I mean, we would have gone and seen them regardless, but the fact that we got to sit through two basically A to A-plus type movies was mm-hmm. all the better. I mean, I had such a blast this weekend at the theater. You know, I was like, man, this is really special. I just felt the energy, especially when freedom, I sat down. So you were three for three. <laughs> yeah. And the Caviezel crowd was, <laughs> they were pretty rowdy. Pretty rowdy. I think they were yelling that the projector wasn't working, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were very rowdy. Anyway, man, when I sat down for Oppenheimer, the energy was palpable completely mm-hmm. packed dolby vision screening just general thoughts for me i love nolan i mean i, I was think i was higher on tenet than a lot of people i just appreciate his enthusiasm for the craft his enthusiasm for original material even if he's doing batman he's going to do it in an original way he's going to write it himself or him and his brother at the time right and mm-hmm. so I appreciate that he still kind of does it the old school way, but makes big, big movies the old school way. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of filmmakers do it the old school way, but they make movies for the Oscar crowd and the film nerds. And he makes movies for everybody. So I really appreciate that. With this, I mean, what an interesting story this is. The Manhattan Project. Can't believe there hasn't been a more definitive movie about this subject mm. in the time, maybe because it's such a daunting task to try to summarize that story in an effective way in two hours or three hours but to center it on Oppenheimer I thought was a special decision the way he wrote the movie the way he cast the movie it's one of the most well cast movies I've ever seen you know in terms of like picking the right guys people that still have names but play the right roles I mean it it had star power but it wasn't like beating you over the head with why is this guy in this movie just be, to have a name like I never <laughs> yeah. once felt that why, in, in any moment why is which Jake is, Paul playing yeah <laughs> I mean he had Josh Peck from Drake and Josh in this movie and I never once thought like oh why is Drake oh, why is Josh Peck in this movie you know like it, <laughs> it all been cool if it had been Drake though yeah Drake <laughs> well like uh, Drizzy little freestyle oh, Drake oh through. actually Drake yeah oh, yeah. yeah not I mean, that Drake. Drake Bell I was like not well the, he's not the sex file so yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just general thoughts. I was like, there's no way this could be as good as like our expectation for it, as what this movie, like the potential of this movie. And I thought it was just about as good as the potential of this story with his approach. The old, There's only one other movie I can think of, but this has got to be the most well-paced three-hour movie I've ever seen. And there was mm-hmm. not a moment in the movie where I was bored, where it dragged where there wasn't something interesting happening or if not interesting uh, of note in the story, like there wasn't a wasted scene really in a three hour movie, which is something 
I never thought I would say coming out of a three hour movie. It's like, okay, here's 30 minutes you can cut and still have the same experience. I didn't feel sure. like that with this. I thought it was extremely well done. The non-narrative, I mean, the non-linear story uh, with the narrative, I thought worked effective. And that's a Nolan trope that he used again very effectively here. And I just thought like the way he shot this thing, the actors, the the writing, it all came together. Sometimes it all just comes together. The music, right? Everything hit hit on the note. And I guess this has got to be the most well-reviewed Nolan film. Am I correct in that? Um, Maybe Dark Knight. Dark Knight yeah, was pretty up there, yeah. Been, yeah. I bet, I but he's been that. pretty consistent. I think Tenet was his you know, worst-reviewed yeah. film besides like his first movie. But like, And that was still, what, 71% or something. It's not like it was yeah. murdered by the critics, but... This was, this was, a, it, we talked about this with this new deal, not to get the dollar and cents of it all, because we, we did that already with Barbieheimer episode, but like, this is the first deal on the first movie on this universal deal. Right. And so yeah. Yeah. we had talked about a few months ago of this one felt very like one for me, you know, the one for me, one for them kind of thing. He was leading with the one for me, um, yeah. a, definitely a passion project, a historical epic, not the kind of movie that in the last five years, especially has done particularly well at the box office. And it, it was surprising to us that this would be the lead. You would think they'd say, Hey, come over to universal, you know, you make your Christopher Nolan's Jurassic world four, and then, <laughs> uh, you can do whatever you want. Um, but it was interesting. They led with this and it did very well. You know, it's going to make, make a lot of money. It, it's not a tent pole for them. I don't think, I don't think it was designed to be that. So that's fine. But it's gonna triple its money, its budget, maybe. I mean, I can see it's getting to three, four hundred million, right? Sure. Yeah. And yeah, for sure. They made it very responsibly at a hundred and, and marketed, let's say, another fifty to seventy five on that. Like this is if this one makes money, I mean they're gonna I think uh, you know, if he has a more um, you know, less of a historical drama for his next idea, they'll definitely throw some money at it. So it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. There was some talk like what, six months ago that this would not do that well. Not just on our podcast, but like there was something like maybe he would go back to WB if this bombed, but it appears to have worked out for all parties. And so, yeah, um, Warner Brothers is just happy with Barbie, I think. Yeah, I think they're doing all right. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting, it's very interesting what his next movie will be. Will he lean into more of a period where he goes, hey, you know what? I've proven that I'm going to make you money as long as I keep the budget responsible and actors want to work for me. So I'm going to just do cool interesting whether it's historical or smaller drama with some you know he's it's christopher nolan he's always gonna have some thrills in there sure or will he say uh no i'm doing i'm doing fast 11 so mm. you know well he has thrown out so. there recently that he still wants to make a bond movie yeah, yeah i think he's definitely making a bond movie at some point in the next few years but i don't think would... can he do that with the universal deal does he have to get these five movies done first Amazon. That? yeah i don't know because they have think that's universal the, Amazon has the uh Bond rights, well, right? It's MGM, uh, but partially Amazon. But Amazon has international. Amazon, I think, has the rights, but like they have to release them in theaters or something like that. There's yeah, it's well, there. The biggest thing is that's the broccoli family, and so mm-hmm. like I don't know how that all works with Universal. I'm sure he's got some. I'm sure agents have said if this were opportunity were to come about, he has a carve out from that deal. But I think sure. like yeah, Universal, if they want to keep him happy, they'd probably let him do yeah. whatever he wants, and as long as. Sure. The next Christopher Nolan original is with them. And I think Warner Brothers, yeah, they definitely made a mistake letting that one pass because Christopher Nolan is certainly a filmmaker that fits what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the fact that they let him kind of go do something else, I don't know, doesn't speak well to them, but I think it's great for Nolan that he can still find a studio that'll give him $100 million to make a to shoot it all on IMAX and shoot it for real just, and, and so, still let him be Christopher Nolan. So just so sh- drying up. such a shame they couldn't come together and make a real Christopher Nolan Grindelwald. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, you he'd know? be great for MacGruber. Yeah. MacGruber, but MacGruber's at Universal, bro. So that's definitely yeah. in the cards. If Forte had pitched, hey, <laughs> we really want to do another MacGruber. Will you do it? Like, I think Christopher <laughs> Nolan would have to, like, he would actually consider it. Like, he'd be like, let me think about it. Yeah, no. he wouldn't immediately turn it down. It's a bummer yeah. that on the Rich Eisen thing that went viral this week that his like he talked about uh, Talladega Nights, Nights as a favorite Nights, of his yeah. when when yeah. we know his true yeah. favorite. 
That's right. Those grooves. For what it's worth, uh, Universal is the inter- international distributor for the Bond Okay, movies. so they could work so, out a deal. There's already yeah. stuff there. Yeah, I hope I he does. I think he'd be... I love Bond and I like Christopher Nolan, so I think that'd be cool, but... Didn't Forte say that Christopher Nolan came to the set when they yeah. were in New Mexico because they were both yeah. doing... Like, he was scouting locations or something yep. for this and they were there shooting the, the series and he just came and, and he, hung out. <laughs> I think he was at a table read or something, too. Yeah. He's a huge... He's a P1. He's, re- he's like, really... Like, I, it'd be so funny if his next movie was like... <laughs> You got to team up with my boy. Oh, Bond? Yeah. Nope, MacGruber. <laughs> <laughs> or he did a Bond movie and then just brought in MacGruber in the and third MacGruber's act. MacGruber's the villain. Now we're talking. <laughs> yeah. No, All right. <laughs> All right, Idris, you're going to want to do the celery trick. And... <laughs> uh, Brian, general thoughts. Yeah, look, I was nervous about this. Um, the trailers weren't very Tenet. good, we should say. Yeah, trailer was was... Not not the best trailers. Um, yeah, look, no one, no one's probably my favorite director of this. Gen- I mean, Spielberg's always going to be my guy, yeah. but it feels like Spielberg is is like obviously Spielberg's sort of uh, on the the tail end of his career. He may still crank out another uh, twenty movies. Yeah. I don't know, but um, he's still making good stuff. It's just yeah, for sure, for sure, an audience, right? Exactly. Uh, but I love Nolan and. I, you know, I've loved Nolan since Memento. I saw that, um, you know, on DVD or whatever when it first came out and remember being like, guys, this is so cool. And a lot of my friends not really, not really digging it or understand getting it, I guess. Um, I've always loved Nolan. I was, I liked Nolan. I, I liked Tenet, um, fine. I think, I think too, I probably liked it more than, than most, but I was a little bit tepid on it. And I was, I was a little bit, I was a little bit nervous about this one, um, that it was going to, I knew that it was going to be well-made cause he doesn't make movies poorly ever. Um, I think he could probably make a good movie in his sleep, you know, just from a technical standpoint. Uh, but I thought there was a pretty decent chance that this wasn't going to connect with audiences. It, the July release date felt weird, even not counting the Barbie part of it. And and to your point, Richard, like this very much felt like a one for me, and then I'll go make your little Bond movie, you know, or whatever. Um, and I really try to avoid like super like uh, hyperbole and really over exaggerating. I we're early in the decade, but this I thought this was the best movie of the decade for me. So it wow. was this was a from minute one through the whole through the whole thing. I think you're spot on, Kent. I'm not sure that I've ever seen a three-hour movie that Paced off held my attention. For the, the only other one I could think hours. of was Titanic. Yeah, I hate Titanic, so that that one's fine with me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on my corner. Um, but I get what you're saying there. But no, the, like, I I know some people that were bored at at stretches in stretches of this. You know, there was kind of a running joke in our Discord of you know making a three-hour movie about meetings and stuff. Uh, I was like on the edge of my seat the entire movie. I think a lot of that is the score. This is one of the better scores we've heard. And, you know, if I say that, it mean, hopefully it means something because I don't really pay attention to the score like like you guys do. I thought it was Ludwig. one of the best uses of score ever. Uh, Ludwig Göransson's like, he's low-key becoming better than oh. Zimmer. Oh, Not to mention already. like... Not a big Zimmer producing guy. Gambino and doing all the other stuff. Yeah. I mean, this guy is yeah the Mandalorian. I mean, he is yeah. like John. I Williams thought you were an Elfin mixed. guy, or is that just like just, <laughs> just <laughs> he's like look, John Kent, John Williams Kent, mixed with Mark real Ronson, life, That's mixed with Hans yeah. Zimmer. Right. Kent just loves Elfman's vibe and uh, behavior. Yeah, style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah he likes some no, Max. like. This was. Uh, <laughs> what if Carrot Top was even more creepy, Jack? Well, Carrot Top's I've got the person. Dad. For, yeah, yeah. So funny. that's the movie we should make. Our E twenty four movie should be Carrot Top, <laughs> Danny Elfman. Our yeah, a weird like vaudevillian. An A twenty four movie with Carrot Top is not the worst idea. <laughs> I mean, like, that sounds like something we weird enough to just that, be great. Yeah. 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 Super like Sean Baker's Carrot Top movie. <laughs> He's just super sad in it's Las the, Vegas the, all the time. Yeah, it's the <laughs> it's the real story of Chairman of the Board, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. 
just they can make it as long as they give us sunglasses off. Props. <laughs> Ayo, I like it. I see what you did me. there. Yeah, I I mean I agree, Brian. Movie. This is this is about um, it's the best movie of the year, I think. You know, you know, coming off Barbie, I think that was fantastic. But like, this movie is going to be a real player at the end. I think. Yeah, look, I want to know. I want to see Kill- Killers of the Flower Moon. And I want to see you know how well it does. But like, Tony El Maestro. Yeah, but this was a. This as I was watching, I I don't really think about awards for unless it's like an actor and you you get the speech and you're like, yep, there's their there's the Oscar moment right there. That's what that's the tape they're sending in. I try not to think about that kind of stuff very much, and I usually I don't I don't have a problem doing that. I was perpetually just like, yeah, there, okay, there's, you know, I'm just like tallying up in my head, yeah, there's a nomination for that, here's a nomination. I mean, it was just it. It's just kind of like I mean, it's just kind of like a, it's a masterpiece. It's a it's kind of like a perfectly made movie, and from a technical standpoint, it's untouchable. And so when you add to, and I think Nolan does that with pretty much every movie, with the exception of some of the weird sound stuff that we've had over the years with Tom Hardy roles and stuff. He's an impeccable filmmaker from a technical standpoint. It's usually the story that sometimes can be. Tr- problematic or, tr- or troublesome for him in terms of like, is this a great movie or just a good movie? And he definitely, I mean, obviously Ledger won the freaking Oscar. He, I'm not certain that his reputation as a, um, an actor's director in terms of just like getting the performance out of an actor is as good as it deserves to be. And this mm-hmm. kind of felt like mm-hmm. a, a moment of like, yeah, I, I'm really good at this guys. Like I, Mm -hmm. yes, obviously all of these people are super talented. I'm going to draw the best out of them for this thing too. I don't know that he's had too many movies that are like true actor showcase movies. Ledger's the one I can think of with Ledger. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But that Ledger Um, got all that credit, maybe justifiably, but you're right. right. That didn't spill over to Nolan. Right. So this kind of, sort of filled that gap as well. I was like, yeah, I have this in my toolbox too. And so, yeah, it's, uh, like I said, as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, gosh, this is so freaking good. And it, that just kept building to a place. And then like three days later, I'm still thinking about this movie, even having seen another movie that I loved in Barbie and, you know, gave an a plus two. It's like, this is just such a freaking great movie. And so I'm at the place now where I'm like, this is, this is, uh, you know, really, Special territory. Such an interesting story. I mean, I thought the way they they approached the subject of having discover having to discover nuclear fission, Oppenheimer, this really played more like a biopic than I expected it to. Mm. I thought it would be much more focused on the Manhattan Project itself. But, you know, it definitely delved into Oppenheimer's life before that and after, which I liked. I got to say real fast, not to interrupt you, but that's what I was worried about because I hate biopics. And that was the vibe I got from the trailer was like, this is just going to be no one's biopic, which is to say that it will probably be a really good biopic, but it will still be a biopic. And Tim Meadows just has like like nuclear material. Like you don't want any of this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But I felt (laughs) like instead it was sort of... God, like revolutionizing that concept yeah. of like what a biopic can be. Such a great script. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in this movie. I mean, this is a three hour movie, so they go over a lot of stuff, but oddly, like there's still significant stuff in this story that they could have focused on that they left out. Right. For I sure. mean, sure. the fact such a big part of this that nobody talked about, which I thought no one did a great job of focusing on was, the fact that nobody had ever set off a nuclear device like this before in history. Mm-hmm. So they legitimately were fearing that they were going to blow up the earth when they mm-hmm. set this thing off. Right. Because right. they had no, like, will this thing just set set fire to all the air in the atmosphere is what they thought. And all the air and is going to continue to burn forever. Right. When you think about the weight of that, <laughs> that right. when you press that button, you might, it might be the end of all of us is quite significant so i thought the weight of that and the near zero and going back to that was was uh very well done and the other fact 
and I love the illustration of this. This might have been truthful to fact. Is the fact that they were mining this precious metal of uranium and plutonium one atom at a time. <laughs> and you know, like the marbles going in the thing to represent here's how much uranium we've mined. Like it was a race against the Nazis for not only coming up with the technology, but actually mining the necessary elements to even pull it off. And their original plan was to go with plutonium because it was the smaller glass, right? They could get more of it faster. It's like, okay, if we can create a device with plutonium, then that's going to be the more replicable solution. Hopefully it works that way, right? And they tried it and it failed with the plutonium, which they have a moment in this where he, remember when the guy comes to Oppenheimer, he's like, we tried it, it failed, implosion failed. And he's like, what do you mean it failed? And then they have to go with this other method uh, with the uranium, which would delay the project. Um, like they could have focused much more on that aspect. Like a whole nother 30 minutes of this movie could have been like focusing on plutonium versus uranium, which is mm. a big part of like the story of the Manhattan Project, but he didn't focus on it there, right. which is super impressive. It's like, wow, you did a three hour movie that was very entertaining not a wasted scene and also left like good stuff on the cutting room floor. Wow. That's a, uh, that's pretty impressive. It's not like you're having to make up stuff to make this thing of three hours. Interesting. No, it's like, no, there's all... so much that like we yeah. didn't even get to half of the good stuff. This mm -hmm. script was just fantastic though. I mean, this it's is like a Sorkin level script. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Dialogue's so good in it. I read the, uh, I read the American Prometheus book that this is, you know, loosely based on, you know, kind of edited mm -hmm. out of more than anything um, earlier in the year to kind of get ready for this. And it's, it's a, a wonderful bit of history, but it's certainly, I mean, he, he definitely did a, quite a bit of adapting, you know, to make it not that it's, it's not dry or anything like that, but it's not mm -hmm. particularly cinematic at all. He's just such a genius at, at, at crafting that out in, in such a way. I mean, he, mm -hmm. He's becoming a really, really, I mean, he was always a good writer, but he's he's becoming such a great screenwriter, which is, you know, it seems obvious, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, he's always been such a director, great director, but it's his, his dialogue's so strong. Um, the, like I said, the, the editing ability is such a different muscle than the writing ability. And I feel like he, he just edited this book into a perfect, perfect screenplay. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think too, this, this is a movie that, kind of shows some of um some of his influences from from other oh, yeah. directors and filmmakers too and and he's done that before that's not a couple i mean you know interstellar especially i think plays on a lot of influences and sort of at times i feel like interstellar kind of tries to bridge the gap between kubrick and and spielberg in a way and to some varying degrees of success i think on that um, a lot of Hitchcock in uh, Inception too. Yeah, totally, absolutely. But yeah, there were there were several moments where I was like, "Gosh, that feels very." Uh... There were several that jumped out at me. The one that I remember, I was like, "Man, it feels this this feels like good Malick." Like when Malick is yeah. making good movies, which seem to only happen when he was not being a prolific director and when just kind of like every ten years was making a movie. There's some Tree of Life in here mm -hmm. that I think works really well. Um, and there are other, you, you guys mentioned Sorkin. I, I'm, I was also like very impressed with the script and the dialogue and how well it flowed without feeling like, I mean, I love Sorkin, but I always feel like the dialogue is the movie, you know, Ooh. is the, the main takeaway yeah. that you get from a Sorkin, which is great. That's totally fine. I'm not knocking it at all. And when it's, when it's great, I, I really love it and really enjoy it. But if it's one degree off of great, you're like, all right, I'm a little tired of this. Like, come right. on, like ease up a little bit. Um, I thought it was a magnificent job of, uh, crafting great dialogue for these characters without it, that becoming distracting in its, its greatness. And it like just kind of helped, help things move and keep the flow and the tension and stuff. And without it becoming like, a, like I said, a distraction of it, which is awesome. Um, it was cool to see some of his influences come to the screen here instead of it just being like, I'm Chris Nolan. I'm doing my Nolan thing over here. Yeah. It was kind of a combination of those two things, which I loved. But there was some, some Nolan beats in it as well for oh, historical, for sure. Yeah, for sure. um, 
you know, again, essentially a drama, you know, he really, you know, there was that kind of, it's funny. I was talking to my friend, uh, my neighbor, Carlos about it. You know, he kept saying, we talked, we, we, we ran into each other like three different times this weekend and other people would always just be like, what'd you think of inception or pardon me of uh, Oppenheimer? And he would say, I heard him say several times, like, I just felt the whole time, like I was on this kind of the beginning part of a roller coaster. You know, there was that pacing mm. of the Nolan. Mm. Tick, 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 tick. And, uh, yeah. and, you know, it had, it had, it really had that, even though the payoff of this, there's a couple payoffs, but it's certainly not to the level of something like interstellar or anything like that. Right. It's, it's really just a kind of a classic, um, you know, it has almost as more in common with, um, a few good men, than it does, yeah. like you said, to the Sorkin thing. Like it feels um, like a like a, a drama of a certain type with some Fincher you know, some felt big like to moments. Me, honestly, yeah, has some Fincher to it for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, what did you guys think of the Downey role? You know, the whole black and white aspect of the movie. Uh, obviously, it's mainly the third act when it really mm-hmm. comes to. I mean, that's mm-hmm. one thing I didn't expect about this. Like, oh no, we're gonna get an hour after they drop the bomb. I know in Hiroshima. Not like the Trinity test, the Hiroshima, and then another hour. So, I mean, which I really enjoyed because I so much of that's part of the story I had no idea yeah. about. But uh, what did you think about Downey in that part? He's someone that I think has really been searching for his next thing, you know? Yeah. And at one point it was going to be like Perry Mason, and then it was Doolittle, <laughs> and right. Right. then it was... Uh, uh, like, you know, well, before that, it was like the judge, like those kind of movies. Yeah. Um, just kind of feeling it out going, you know, it seemed like he was someone that was saying, I have more money than God. And so I'm just going to do things I'm interested in, but I'm not, I'm, I'm waiting for that right thing. But like filmmakers weren't really mm. engaging with him, you know, like you would think they would, you know, why, why wasn't he in once upon a time in Hollywood or something like sure. that? You know, this is, and then it's like kind of the, the first time it seemed like a, a major bona fide canon filmmaker was like, oh, you know, you know who's available? <laughs> uh, sure. He's not doing any more of these Iron Men. Did you know that? Right. Like, it was like kind of like news <laughs> to all, all of that. Right. We can get Downey, um, who was, you know, one of the most interesting actors when he was sober of his era. Right. And it was fun to see him, him do something in that vein. In a much older, you know, he's kind of, um, in a lot of ways, depressingly old in this and the character is is not old but like just such a fuddy-duddy you know and and mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. it was it is so different than what we've been used to seeing him in, in pop cinema but i enjoyed it yeah it was very different to see him yeah the old version you know he used to be like chiseled and like has this great yeah hair and everything and it wasn't that character at all which was a departure for him but man it's certainly Certainly felt he's uh, getting on the McCartney McCartney. list, though. I will say the McCartney Costas list, Hmm. like little. There's some orange hue in real life. There's an orange hue to that hair. Like Robert, you're not fooling anybody, man. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, little little gray in the temples. It's fine. No one's gonna be. No one's talking about what a great hair of naturally brown hair Robert Downey Jr. has. (laughs) I thought the, you know, the overarching storyline. I mean overarching messages of man's in my opinion man's greatest achievement versus their greatest downfall mm-hmm. which is kind of the human element of this this the downy storyline i just loved that so much and no one's insistence to make this more than just about here's how they made the bomb mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I, which yeah. really stuck out to me i mean the parable not parable but like the allegory at the beginning of I don't know if this was really happened. I, I don't think it like poisoning the apple, right? And and the the forbidden fruit. I mean, thought that was like the downfall of man. I thought that was a whole point he was trying to make with that moment earlier in the movie. But you know, it it, it straddles the line of telling you how the project was made, but also like, oh, these were this was made by human beings. Mm-hmm. Like this, this they weren't. Yeah. yeah, they were good at math, but it doesn't waste time. Here's how the math is. Here's how you split the <laughs> atom. Here's right. how, you know, like it really could have gone into that and been a great movie of like, mm-hmm. here's the technical thing of how an atom bomb was made. But it was way more about the people in it than anything else. 
but I thought like, gosh, the deposition scenes were great. I thought that was a great way to break it up with Jason Clark being kind of in there for those. And then you had the Los Alamos stuff, which I thought was fantastic. Boom. Here comes Matt Damon into the movie, right? (laughs) Yeah. As this incredible character. Never, Who never makes a movie worse. No you know, anybody. you just throw Matt Damon in there. You're never like, ah, oh, dad gummit, this guy again. It's, it's God, he's good. He had a great line in one of the interviews. He's, he's said about his character, like that being people's friends was, was not on his list of priorities. <laughs> he said, people if you would ask me. this guy, do people like you? He would have just looked <laughs> at you. Like, I don't even understand the question. What, yeah, what, you know, care. it's not even a, in his mind at all like get this guy to like like he had a job to do and i really got that i got that from him did you hear his story about about getting cast in this no No, i didn't he had told his wife uh he was like i'm i mean i I think i I saw it in two different interviews and in one of them he said he literally said we're in like marriage counseling (laughs) and i told her in counseling like i'm not okay i get it i hear what you're saying I'm 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 not gonna work for whatever years he put on it, two years or whatever, unless Christopher Nolan calls. Like that's it. That's <laughs> the only one. And then I think he said like within a couple of weeks, Chris Nolan called and was like, Hey, I have this part. And so he yeah. has to like turn to his wife and be like, So like you know <laughs> what I said, and so I'm gonna stick to this. And yeah. yeah. Gosh, that's a great story. I love that. Yeah, I mean they he pops up in Interstellar. Unless too. they make the wall too. <laughs> I'm on the first or another stuck on you or stuck on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stuck on two. <laughs> hey oh. All right. Don't give right. him away. To start the script. Yeah. <laughs> he was fantastic. I thought all the supporting roles were I mean, Dane DeHaan, wasn't he in this? Yeah. God, I hadn't seen him literally since the Spider Man movie and he was <laughs> fantastic. Brian's I mean, nightmares. Also Elgort <laughs> slash Aaron Rick was There's no way to, again, that's the only thing we was great. Know. He was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Him with, with Downey was just fantastic. And then Benny Safty, right? Yep. Holy moly. Like you Come see why see he's more, he's letting Josh uh direct this movie with Sandler. Like this guy could be a a, a real actor. And then Rami. I was like, why is Rami Malek here? Yeah. And then he yeah. had the moment at the end where it's like, wow, great use of Rami Malek. Right. Yeah. We there is a place weird. for him, but it's not starring in music biopics. It's right. It's uh, do stuff like this. We could just do yeah, a movie I mean, called Weird with he and Kate McKinnon, both in movies this weekend. <laughs> and it's just them being weird. What do you yeah. think of that? Seems real off-putting. It's just, yeah. yeah, just kind of creeping everyone out. No, no real secondary move. Just that. Right. It's just kind of a contest to see who can who can stay in the movie the longest. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's just really. Then I thought the, I mean, obviously the lady roles of Florence and dang, man. Emily Blunt as his two uh, wives, I guess, throughout his life. I mean, just a really interesting way to depict kind of the dark and light side of familial relationships, mm. love of the past, um, having to balance that with work, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's only Christopher Nolan can do it that way. And I thought this is a really understated performance from Emily Blunt too. She's so good. She's was, not going to yeah. get a lot of a lot of awards buzz for this, but like this is one of her better roles in terms of like knowing the energy to bring. I can That's see I think is the I mean like best supporting actress is always kind of a difficult, usually at least is usually kind of a difficult ballot to fill out, which is unfortunate, but is kind of a, it's kind of factual. It is the way it gets. I could see this making it, her having a real run win award. I mean, we'll see. There's probably, there's 20 movies we haven't even heard of. Yeah, They're going to come Amy out. Amy Adams has at know? least six desperate swings at it. So <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So for sure. Um, But yeah, this is the kind of performance that, like, when you're watching this movie, there's a hundred things you're gonna get to before you think of of Emily Blunt. Yep. But in six months, when you're filling out your your Oscar ballot and you're 
like, you know, going to go back and revisit some of these movies. You're going to be like, you know, what was really freaking good is Emily Blunt. Maybe that's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe she ends up on my ballot somewhere here. Cause this is a, she has a couple of moments, right? Like her, her deposition up against Clark and stuff is kind of the, you can put that on the reel if, if, uh, if you've got the nomination, but then there's so many other little moments where she's, she's just very strong and great. And so I could see this becoming a, a best supporting uh, nomination at some point. Cause she's great. Florence is great too. Both of those are great. I mean, this thing is just stacked with great performances. You go down to like, Hey, is that Josh at 20 minutes in maybe of him being on screen? Tobin turns to me because is that Josh Hartnett? I'm like, yeah, he was awesome. Oh my God. He was great in it. Matthew Modine's great. I mean, this is like stacked, um, with, with great performances. Kenneth Branagh. I mean, you know, this is, uh, this is like the, this is the SAG best cast award. For sure. Oh, best yeah, cast. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Best ensemble. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That is. It's the Avengers is, of he's in this? She's in this? Like, <laughs> that is spot on. I felt like Florence had more Oscar y type moments. You know, she's crying in the movie, you know. Sure. More dramatic downfall of the character, that that whole type of thing. So but I just thought Emily Blunt's performance was just uh, yeah, like just really underappreciated. There's so many more things people will mention about this movie than that, and it yeah. deserves a mention. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, the tension that's built up to the Trinity test, like once they get to that sequence of the Trinity test, I mean, that was just flawless editing. You know, the countdown, the rain. I mean, good God. I was on the edge of my seat. I was like, this is just some of the best. Yeah. I mean, almost exceeded the expectation that I had because I had high expectations for that sequence going in because you know it's coming, but in it delivered. I mean, the way they depicted the bomb going off, you know, Josh Peck's like about to about to touch it. The way they focused on all the emotions of the different emotions of the people of you know Benny having the sunscreen on his face, just like bring it on type guy. Yeah. People ducking behind. I mean, it was. So well done and such an interesting way to shoot it. What did you guys think about that sequence, Brian? Yeah, man, I, I, I thought that was like, that's where this move to me. That's where this jump from, man, this is a great movie to like, to this is a masterpiece. That like was, they, when they put the bomb on a truck and they're like, all right, we're actually doing this yeah. thing. It's like, wow. Yeah. I just, I don't know how you top that in a scene. I mean, it's, it's a long scene too. So it's it, the degree of difficulty goes up and, you get one little lull where he and he and Damon are talking to each other and stuff, and that's a great, you know, addition to that sequence. But then to have, I mean, the score usage there is perfect. You got, I mean, it is really driving you at that point. And then the the dropout of of all sound mm-hmm. um, when the oh, bomb so actually that was goes a, off. That was a, such a great moment. Oh. I, it was one of those things where it was like. I was expecting that. Like I was expecting the sound to drop the way that the movie had been going up to that yeah. point and the score. And I don't know, like, I don't think that Tobin was expecting that. You know, I don't think my friends that were there, the the normies, I'm not sure they were necessarily <laughs> expecting that, but we see so many movies. We know yeah. how these things work. Like I was, I was expecting the bomb's going to go off. We're going to see the flame and we're not going to hear anything. And even still, it was like a mesmerizing yeah. sequence. And then to have the sound come in at the, the decibel that it's at, yeah. you know, yeah. where, when the it reaches wave. that station and then a little bit quieter when it reaches the second station and then quieter still when it reaches the third station, like I would imagine too, that he probably timed that out, you know, the way that it was in real life. Um, I, if he didn't, it felt that way, which kind of added to the whole thing. That was just a, genuinely truly perfect Mm -hmm. sequence of filmmaking and i just don't i don't know how you top it like that's one of those that's an immediate put this scene in the hall of fame you know or the the stick it in the time capsule or the the you know library of congress or whatever you want to say whenever you want to do it this is an immediate entry into the best scenes that we've ever had on film i think yeah literally on film right i mean yeah, I gotta that, say too. Real, I mean, I don't do the the film dork thing too much. I think um, I'm like different nerdy, like I've said before. But like, 
I'm sitting on the back row, and I so I could hear the of the film, you know, through the course of this seeing this in seventy millimeter, and I don't get real. I don't get real, real filmy about most that stuff most of the time, but it definitely added to the experience for me this time. I was like, God dang it. This is so cool. Like just, yeah. What an experience to be here and to be able to hear the film. Um, I don't know. It, it was a, a nice little bonus, um, for this thing for me. Yeah. The way they depicted the bomb going off. I mean, the immediate, the light as bright as the sun, you know, because you're literally harnessing the power of the sun in the, right. in that uh, explosion was so significant, way more significant than I could have ever even imagined. Your way just lit up that, and then you see this cloud, you know, form, and the way he shot the flames and like the epic music was just it was honestly beautiful and terrifying at the same time. And I'm I'm sure that the people watching it had the same feeling like wow this is incredible but also the way he captured the emotion after the dust kind of settles and they realize it worked the the emotion of Oppenheimer not knowing whether to be excited or upset about it (laughs) was Mm -hmm. great too Mm -hmm. because obviously he's very excited like yes the science worked but like his realization of like oh no this is gonna get dropped like really soon (laughs) once it once it worked and and you know that the meeting with the president overseas which is a real deal like Mm -hmm. they were testing the bomb as he was like in the meetings with stalin right (laughs) and they had to telephone over there and say by the way the nuke worked and it's like oh okay yeah by the way we've got this great new weapon you know so it was like if that hadn't that test hadn't worked who knows what happens in the world? Mm. I mean, you think about the weight of this this event and Oppenheimer having to deal with that. Nobody could ever sympathize with that. Sure. No one. Uh, you know, something that you did, you know, leading to that. And, and the point of it being uh, this had to happen for the greater good is so apparent in this movie. And when you look back at history, I mean, obviously that was the case with ending the war and having the cold war and all that and just the economic boom around the world that that caused but like the sequence that was my favorite dialogue scene in the movie was them just deciding who to drop it on and can we drop it not on civilians can we drop it on this town no, I can't drop it there because I visited there on vacation. Are you kidding me? Like that was actually. I, I thought that was one of the most important, so good lines in the movie. Like I, I laughed in a, like a real. I mean, you know, maybe it didn't like sound away. that way yeah. to other people, but like in a real, like bitter, like holy, like oh my gosh, like I can't believe, you know. But I thought that that was like. I thought that kind of drove home a lot of the point of what we're, what we're dealing with here. It was, I don't know if I would call that subtle, but it, it sort of came across as like, Oh my God. Like that, I guess what I'm saying is that that line carried a lot more weight than a throwaway. The, little, the, the line, line me- you know? meant like, Hey, these were human beings that decided this like, yeah. And human element went into why this was decided the way it was. And I right. think that's very apparent. I mean, the, they really wanted at the beginning, I think to drop one like over the ocean right near the shore so that everybody could see the power of the bomb Mm. and not do any damage. Be like, Hey, by the way, here's what we got. But they thought that that wouldn't do anything. PETA was really against that. Right. (laughs) Right. They, they, they wouldn't uh, like the, they they thought that the Japanese commanders would just be like, all right, we're going to come attack you now. Right. And they had no, no other option essentially in fact so heavily that they had to drop another one (laughs) and that is a sad reality of the situation but for anyone to think this was done without the utmost consideration for all aspects of it is uh i don't know a little bit mistaken but the the second still could have been the wrong decision right i mean that's fascinating about it right it was it was not taken lightly, but then you could still, obviously, you know, eighty years later, talk about um, the 
negatives impacts of this as well as the you know positives of ending the war etc you know still like an interesting dialogue to have amongst people so and also an interesting thing that they point out in that scene is like what if heisenberg gets a bomb and then he starts pointing out new york then dc right right? like that was what they were up against was a race to beat these guys at this because whoever gets it first is gonna drop it yep somewhere right and so it was oh man it's the game theory of it all yeah I can't imagine the the pressure. So I thought the last hour where they focus on like him after Mm -hmm. the war, Mm -hmm. the scene of him, of them showing the film of the victims with just showing his face was so effective of like, Hey, we're not going to show the victims, but just, uh, I mean, them having to deal with that in the immediate aftermath. I can't imagine. Yeah, the sequence in the gym too is just like mm-hmm. that's a haunting sequence, and um, I think drives home. I think drives home the point better than showing the explosion, the actual explosion would do, you know, or or any of yeah. the doing the. I think you could have really Emmerich easily thing of the oh city. the Spielberg, yeah, you know, yeah. Schindler's well, List. Here's let's show real footage at the end, right? And, and like, the, yeah. I like I saw there was some criticism. And it's a it, honestly, I think it's a it's a fair point to make. It's not the point that I would make, but there was some criticism about like kind of turning this into um, like by not showing the the devastation. You're not saying of, we're not sorry. Yeah, there's like yeah, no or remorse. like you're sort of you're you're downplaying the destruction and instead focusing on one guy. And I get I again, that's not the point that I would make, but I I think that that's a fair point if if that's. If that's your feeling, that's how you feel about it. I, I think that there's some some validity to that. I just think that it could have very easily, going that route, could have very easily become exploitative. And, mm. and it becomes a different movie at that point. Like, even if you did it in a... Like, obviously, I don't think no one would have done it in a, in a Marvel-y kind of way, you know, an explosion porn kind of way, but... Even if you would have done it in like a Saving Private Ryan kind of way, that does change what the movie is, mm-hmm. and it, and I'm, I think that the movie's better for not going that route and and staying where it does, and instead showing the kind of the the haunting and the horror of that. I also thought it did a very. I think the movie does a perfect job, strikes the perfect balance of, um showing and and giving voice to the doubts and the dissent and the the questions and the concern and then the after effect of the guilt and the mm-hmm. the you know feeling upset without um without it becoming over the top too much like it was it almost lets the audience kind of like, hey, you know the where we have come over. The, you know the history of the yeah. last eighty years, and so now you kind of get to wrestle with it rather than like it. I actually think it's more profound and more effective because of that rather than hitting it harder in the movie and and seeing it harder on. Yeah, he puts that on, on the him audience. or the people involved. It yeah. kind of puts it on you to go home and be like, yeah. This isn't a feel good time. Like you're yeah. not going to go home feeling great about this and you shouldn't. And whether you feel like this was you this was the terrible choice that had to be made or it was a terrible mistake, one way or the other, you get to go home. You're going home with that. It's yep. not you know, it, it's not we're not going to wrestle with that any further in the movie. And I I think that that's more I think it's more effective because of that. Absolutely. What did you guys think of I mean, the last thing I want to hit really is Killian himself as Oppenheimer. I mean, what do we think of the it? Oscar now? This is yeah. over, I think. Yeah, I, I I thought he was incredible. I mean, we'll see what Leo does, but I mm-hmm. or and Bradley Cooper, Bradley I guess Cooper. too, Richard. Um, but yeah, this this that felt like a that felt like about as good of a this is my Oscar performance as you can give, and it's not showy either, mm-hmm. which is really kind of impressive to do to do that. It's a couple accent slips. Sure. I was so I was, weird. He's British, right? Irish. So, How dare you? Or Irish. Irish. Yeah. Show some respect. Sorry. There's a couple uh, of that, but uh, but other than that, it was, he was great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna grade this bad boy out. 
at an A plus. I mean, this is my favorite of the year, and if it's not in the top ten, I'll be floored. So, A plus for me. What about you, Brian? Yeah, uh, I think it's the best movie of the, of the the very young decade that we're in. Is it his uh, best movie? Is it no one's best movie? I put The Dark Knight ahead of it because I'm gonna, I have and will rewatch that movie four thousand times. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it's such a. I mean, that's just it's such a reinvention. Of, I mean, Batman Begins does it too, but God, that movie is just it's just such a perfect. How did oh this is what we can do with superhero movies? Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay, like, and it's still I think it's it still stands the test of time. Yeah. Fifteen years later, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, to me, this like puts him in a way. This puts him in a category similar to Spielberg. Not to always not to Bill Simmons it back to the '86 Celtics <laughs> all the time, but. Um, you know, when I'm, when I think about the Spielberg movies, I think about Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. And then like, I'm, I've maybe got one more viewing of Schindler's List in my lifetime, you know, cause it's such a miserable, horrible experience, but it's such a great film. And then I'm going to rewatch Jurassic Park 4 billion times. And also it is such a great, such a well-made film. And to be able to do both of those things, um, is truly i mean there's not very many people that can do that and um, if he does a not that i didn't think that he was capable of this because you know we've seen him kind of straddle um various genres over the years but this kind of cemented like oh yeah this guy can do whatever he wants to do yeah if he doesn't do bond next it's so fascinating to see what he does next Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i guarantee you the title will be one word (laughs) if he does something uh, what's your grade, Richard? A plus for me as well. Awesome. What a movie this was. And uh, let the heart net of silence begin. <laughs> Started with uh, Guy Ritchie brought him back last year. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's right. All right, there we go. There's Oppenheimer for you. Please let us know what you thought of it. And uh, make sure you subscribe. Hit that like button. All the whole YouTube stuff, but uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon at the cinema. Goodbye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs, and maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those toss salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya. Your salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again.